Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome, what's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you here. Great to have you on board this little sports talk radio party train. We got a lot to do and not a lot of time to do it. So no matter how you're listening today, we certainly do appreciate it on the radio, on the app, perhaps on your Alexa That's right, ESPN Syracuse is now on your smart speaker. Just search ESPN Syracuse on your Alexa app. Click Enable on the ESPN Syracuse skill, and off you go. Alexa can now play ESPN Syracuse. She gets smarter every day while she's spying on you. It's a beautiful thing. Here's how you get in touch with the show, 437-7644, Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media on Twitter, or the text line is 288-0644. We don't have a lot of time today. We have an abbreviated edition of the show because of some incoming inclement weather, very windy thunderstorms, could be some damaging winds approaching central New York. A lot of high school sports, a lot of high school football games in particular have been moved up. Our high school football game of the week featuring Auburn at ESM has been moved up to a five o'clock kickoff. So you will hear that immediately following this program. So we will not be on to our normal 6 o'clock. We are only on until 5 o'clock today due to high school football. So what do you say we get into it, kids? Because we got a lot to do. You are going to hear my one-on-one chat with the legend, Joe Morris. The number 47 hits the rafters tomorrow at the Carrier Dome. Long overdue honor for a man who owns... Pretty much every conceivable rushing record that Syracuse has. Not Floyd Little, not Jim Brown, not Ernie Davis. And mind you, Joe Morris had an extra year than those legends. Joe Morris did not wear the 44, as he will explain why, coming up. But he's the guy. He is the leading rusher. He is, you know, just take a glance at the Syracuse rushing records and you see the name Joe Morris a heck of a lot. So can't wait to see him get his due tomorrow at the Dome. You'll hear from him shortly here on the block the nfl blitz we will still do the pick six we will still do and our latest survivor pick payoff we will do uh, we won't do hot takes and some of our usual features today because of our limited time so what do you say we jump right in here as far as syracuse and yukon i really don't have much to say i've said it throughout the week i will maintain it this game will be a walk in the park 
for Syracuse. As long as they remember to show up at the Dome tomorrow, sometime before 4 o'clock, remember the uniforms and everything, remember they're playing football, they're going to roll this team. UConn's bad. UConn is struggling. UConn is young. UConn is a lot of things. What they are not is a team that is capable of beating Syracuse. Now, whether they cover the 27.5 points for entertainment purposes only, which I think Syracuse clearly will, well, that could be up for debate depending on if Syracuse pulls off the throttle, is kind of cruising, and UConn comes in with the backdoor cover. But UConn in the two teams, now, mind you, both Boise State and Central Florida were ranked football teams at the time. They got outscored by those two teams, 116-28. to 28. They just don't have the athletes. They don't have the defense in particular to keep up. They have a terrific quarterback who will make some plays, who will give the Syracuse defense a little more of a challenge than DeAndre Francois did last week because DeAndre Francois not only has one of the worst offensive lines for a Power 5 football team I've ever seen, but he's just not a guy that scrambles a lot. David Pindell can scramble. He can move. We talked to Dino Babers on the show yesterday. If you missed that chat, it's up at ESPNSyracuse.com in the audio vault. And, you know, Dino compared UConn's quarterback to Eric Dungy. He is going to give Syracuse the same type of headaches that Dungy normally gives opponents. As long as Syracuse comes out, you want everybody to stay healthy, they're going to get behind that defense. This is another opportunity, much like Wagner and even the Florida State game. There were some opportunities for some wide receivers and to kind of spread the love a little bit and give different guys different targets. This is the kind of game you want to sharpen up for Clemson. You know, when Jamal Custis has a deep route down the sideline, you can't drop the football. And you want to try and eliminate little mistakes like that that will compound themselves, that will almost be like making two mistakes in one play against a team like Clemson. Because you got to brace yourself for that game. Clemson, look, you don't need me to tell you how good they are, but we'll spend all of next week doing that. It's one of the best defensive lines I've ever seen. They have an abundance of riches all over the field. Travis Etienne at running back, terrific wide receivers. As we Anish Roth told us on the show yesterday, a couple names that are invoking Sammy Watkins in Clemson circles. He saw them play, Anish did, a couple weeks ago, and I said, what's the probability Syracuse could spring the upset again? He put it at zero, and... You know, that's not quite even Lloyd Christmas. You're telling me there's a chance. I guess there's always a chance when you line up with somebody on a football field, as we saw last year when Syracuse played Clemson. But had Trevor Lawrence come in for Kelly Bryant a year ago, I don't think you would have had the same result. This year you have two quarterbacks. You have an abundance of talent and riches. And you have the revenge factor. You have motivation. You will not catch Clemson sleeping. You will not catch them coming in underestimating Syracuse. Not only for the revenge factor, but because Syracuse is good and they're going to come in 4-0 and, and you know, you got their attention now. But once you poke the bear, the bear pokes back, or in this case, the tiger, right? So it's one of those, we'll spend next week finding a way, what's in your bag of tricks, how can you be competitive, where are the matchups to at least have a respectable showing in one of the great environments in college football, Death Valley, it's an ABC game. This week, it's an ESPN News game at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Syracuse will kind of fly under the radar. They will go 4-0. And the big question becomes, will they be in the AP poll come Sunday afternoon? I don't think so, is my answer, but you've got to let things play out. You've got to see how the bottom of the poll pans out. There's a couple teams at the bottom of that poll 
that have some tough games this weekend that could lose, that could open up a window for Syracuse. And I'll just, while we're yakking about it here, let's just pull it up. So as I've stated as an AP voter, just my observation, it's not by means a pattern that the AP endorses. It's just being a voter for the past five years, here's what I've seen. It comes down to this. It comes down to look test. It comes down in no particular order, by the way. It comes down to look test. It comes down to, obviously, what's your record. you got to have an undefeated record at this point to be even considered to be entered into the poll. Mind you, a 3-1 and one team pulls a major upset kind of deal like BYU did last week when they beat Wisconsin. That's another way in. But if you're trying to knock your way into the poll, you better be undefeated or darn near it or be a really good one-loss team. So it's look test, it's record, it's who'd you beat that will make me consider putting you in the poll this week, and it's obviously your resume. A resume of Western Michigan, Wagner, a Florida State team we know is a grease fire, and UConn, one of the worst teams in college football, on the surface is not a top 25 resume. But should BYU go out and, let's say, I don't think they're going to lose to McNeese State this week, but they get Washington next week. It's a top-10 team. It's certainly possible they lose that game. Should Michigan State lose to Indiana, which isn't that crazy to suggest. That's a road game in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is wide open this year, and Indiana's 3-0. So you want to root for Indiana to open up a spot. You want Boston College to lose this week at Purdue. Unlike, I mean, Purdue's probably the best 0-3 team in college football. I don't think they're going to lose that game, given how well Anthony Brown and particularly A.J. Dillon are playing right now, but you certainly want to root for Boston College to lose. Texas A&M is playing Bama, and they'll probably fall out of the poll should they lose to Bama because they're at the bottom of it and other teams that have better resumes deserve consideration, but it's more how they lose to Bama. Texas A&M nearly beat Clemson. A couple weeks back. If they have that same... How'd that work out, by the way? The Texas A&M got two of the top three teams in the country two games in three weeks. It's incredible how that works out. But if they have a similar showing to Bama as they do to Clemson, they might not fall out of the poll. But more than likely, they will. Miami plays FIU this week, which could be one of those weird interstate matchups. I haven't seen a lot of Florida International this year. I know they're 2-1. and They lost by 10 to Indiana. They beat Old Dominion, and they smoked UMass last week. So root for Florida International to beat Miami. Root for all these teams at the bottom of the pole to lose. Just to round it out, Oregon's got a really tough game with Stanford this week. They lose that. They're probably out of the pole. So root for Stanford to beat Oregon. Root for Michigan to lose this week, who's number 19 in the country. And Michigan's got Nebraska. Not off to the best start in the Scott Frost era there. He's got some rebuilding to do. But again, the Big Ten is weird this year. Wisconsin is number 18. They are at Iowa this week. That's a tough game for them. Iowa's a team that could swap places with Wisconsin should they win. See, that works against Syracuse if Wisconsin loses because it's Iowa. Iowa is the lead team in the others receiving votes category. So that means they'll get in and they'll essentially swap places with Wisconsin should they pull that off. So I'm not saying it's off the table. I'm just saying it's unlikely, but we'll see how the weekend pans out. I'll sit down every Sunday morning as I do and be objective about it. I wouldn't count on it, though. 
Now, you beat Clemson next week. You somehow find a way to do that, and you're going to blow up the whole poll. And how fun would that be? So, look, Syracuse wins. They win big. I don't see any other reason to go any other way on that. A lot of the fears, a lot of the apprehension that's out there. I've got a feeling, Axe. I don't know. No, I want facts. I want tangible stats. I want reasoning put in front of me. I want matchups, game plans. I want reasoning, not you got a feeling when it's UConn. They're going to smoke this team. And Clemson week will begin. Tomorrow, while Syracuse is laying the hammer down on UConn, Joe Morris will be honored. Now, I'm going to play you my one-on-one chat with Joe coming up here, but Joe also had a little gathering with the media this afternoon. I want to play you a couple clips. What a pleasure it was to spend some time with Joe. I'd never met him prior to today, and just a humble guy, so appreciative of what's happening this weekend, so emotional about what's happening this weekend, and was quick to say that something like this is not something you earn on your own. You know, I was driving up here uh, from, from, from New Jersey, and my dear teammate Craig Wolfley called me. And he said, he said, Joe, you know what? This is the honor well deserved for you. I said, Craig, I learned from you, Art Monk, Bill Hurley, and, I, and all the rest of my teammates that I have about what this is about. I said, this is about your team. It's about everybody. I said, when I get this honor no more, I'm going to be accepted on your behalf as well as my behalf because I know nobody does anything in football by yourself. One more from Joe Morris as he talked to the media this afternoon, how thankful he is to have that number 47 go on. The reason why I'm here is because of something I did in the past, and I'm thankful for that. I have a lot of teammates who are going to be here tomorrow. My whole family traveled to see this. My two daughters are going to be here tomorrow. Fans of Central New York who've been nothing but sweet and nice to me my whole career, when I come back and I do appearances here, people come out, share stories about the games i played here. I'm just thankful that everybody is allowing me to, to have this honor. Again, let's go over this here. Joe Morris had 22 100-yard games in his time at Syracuse. That has lapped the field. Larry Zonka is the next on that list with 15. Joe Morris had more yards in a single game, in a single season, and a career than anybody in the history of Syracuse football. More yards per game in a single season and career. Most carries in a season and a career. 100-yard games in a season consecutive 100-yard games plus the career 22 that I mentioned a moment ago. You'll hear Joe describe that night when he had 300 total yards and four touchdowns to open the Carrier Dome, which was 38 years ago yesterday, as a matter of fact. A well-deserved honor, a one-on-one chat coming up with the newly retired number 47, Joe Morris. First, let's get some diamonds and dogs. Certainly a diamond in his day, Joe Morris. Lee Baldwin here to bring it home. Let us know what else is happening in the world of, of stocks. Lee, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great. And Joe Morris, what a diamond when he played, huh? Oh, legend. And getting his due, and for some reason just kind of like fell by the wayside, even though you you look in the record book and it's Joe Morris, Joe Morris, Joe Morris, Joe Morris, Joe Morris. Here's a, a cool stat about Joe Morris, too. So this guy, Lee, plays at Archbold Stadium and closes it out. Right. right. Spends an entire season on the road in 1979 and then opens the Carrier Dome. I mean, that's that's <laughs> quite a transition that he had in his time here. He, he didn't know where he was playing half the time. 
I do remember quickly, but in 80 or 81, they played uh, the Colgate Raiders, and I was at the game. And uh, the first play from scrimmage, Joe goes 80 yards for a touchdown, and the Colgate was like, welcome to high-level Division One." Hello! <laughs> yeah, opened up uh, the Carrier Dome, uh, returning a kick for a touchdown as well. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Well, he is a diamond, a uh, great show. Uh, our diamond today, we're going to go with the Airlines. American, Delta, they all raised their bag charge by 5 bucks. So maybe not a diamond to you or I when we travel, but uh, they get the diamond on Wall Street today. Uh, our dogs, it was a, a wild week for the pot stocks. I, I've got to admit, so they're the dogs today as the, uh, you know, all the excitement about Canadian legalization. And maybe it's fading a little bit. Uh, one stock hit 300 this week, Tilray, and ended today at 123. Ouch. 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 Ouch, man. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, have yourself a great weekend, pal. We'll talk right, again on Monday. Have a great one. I, li- I like your impression there. That was fantastic. LeeBaldwin.com is the website. They have offices in Casanova and Utica. You can give them a call at 655-2964 or LeeBaldwin.com to learn all about the smartest investment strategies. Diamonds and dogs, you hear it every day about this time here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. You're going to hear from Joe Morris coming up, my one-on-one chat with the Orange Legend next. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. I believe this one was uh, rocking the charts back in Joe Morris's day, right? Appropriate that we hit the 80s bump. Coming back at you here on ESPN Radio. Presented by Onondaga County Community College's Workforce Development Program. You can learn the skills that local employers need in just two to eight months. There is more information at sunyocc.edu slash workforce. Let's get to it, shall we? He's going to have that number 47 uh, sent to the rafters tomorrow. A deserving honor for one of the great running backs, one of the great players overall, one of the great gentlemen to ever put on a Syracuse uniform Joe Morris had an opportunity to catch up with him a little bit this afternoon. Let's take a listen. So, Joe, uh, once again, congratulations to you. And that number 47 is going to the rafters. It's a story you've told, but for those that haven't heard, why 47 and not the 44? Well, when I got here, I made a request for number 36. And we had a uh, sophomore running back, Dennis Hartman, who had that number. So I guess... Uh, Bob Knickerbocker decided to give me 11 more than what I asked for and gave me 47. I looked at the number and I went, okay, whatever, you know, whatever. And, you know, I went out to practice and just went from there. I, I, I didn't give it any thought. It was a number. After my uh, freshman year, uh, you know, somebody had a discussion about, you know, you know maybe he, he should be wearing 44. Now, uh, I'm smart. I, and I, listen, I was, I was young and naive, but after reading all the stuff about the great 44s of Floyd Little, Jim Brown, and then Ernie Davis, man, that's larger than life. So you're homing yourself and go, you know what, I can wear number four, but that's as close as I'm getting to that. I, that 44 is just not happening, not with me, because that's just not something I want to be. I don't want that target on my back. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm just trying to, just trying to, you know, exist. And I, I you know, my thing was this right here. I'm going to set my own frill based upon what I do not what a number did at one time. You know, and, and listen, there's no disrespect in that. I want to be as good as those guys were while they were here at Syracuse, but I don't want to put on something that's the expectations of this being what I'm going to do. Because my expectations for myself was, when I got here, in four years, if I rushed for 1,000 yards, that would have been great. Turned out different for me, but 
about a thousand yards a year. They yeah. almost averaged out to me. So, yeah. so in theory, I had the right attitude about how to approach this because here's the thing: I never knew until I got on a plane flying back from Syracuse to Boston that Jim Brown had played here, that Ernie Davis had played here. Now, and, and when I say Ernie Davis, first Black Heisman Trophy winner. Floyd Little had played there. Larry Zonka had played there. Jim, John Mackey had played there. Jim Ringo had played there. And I'm thinking, man, I'm, I have a chance to go there? Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking this is. So when you were visiting and you learned all about that, who else was in play? What were some other schools you were looking at? What's the, an alternate uh, path for <sighs> okay. Joe if, if he didn't come to Syracuse? Okay, well, my, my guidance counselor said, Joe, I'm telling you, that Syracuse thing is a bad thing. Here's why going to get there, you're going to be a small fish in a big pond. And I went, what? I said, look, I'm, I'm, I, listen. I, said, I don't know if I'm going to play. I don't know if I'm gonna. I said, but I got to try. I got to go to the biggest level and see if I can play there. So I'm not sure it's going to work out, but I'm going to give it a whirl. That's all I'm going to do. No, no, you got to go to UMass. You got to go to UMass. I go, no. University of New Hampshire. I'm not going there. I, I, I talked to the guy. No, I'm not going there. I'm thinking I can play somewhere else. Boston College was coming off an 0-11-7. Ed Klebic was their coach. I met Ed Klebic. Looked him straight in the face, and I thought, yeah, this is not for me. I, I, I get a couple of calls from different schools that, you know, say, you know, if you're, you, do you want to come down for a visit? I go, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done flying. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm, I'm going to go to Syracuse. I'm good with that. Joe, when you were here at Syracuse, there was a lot of transition. You played at Archbold in its last days. You spent an entire season on the road and then the opening of the Carrier Dome. How did the program and the players kind of persevere through so much transition? Well, all the guys who were pre-med the year we were on the road, they all became liberal arts majors after that. Because <laughs> you're not going to do pre-med when you're on the road every week where you're going all the time. And, and, and here's the thing. We used to try to load up our classes and take everything in the spring when we had, the, you know, the football schedule's not there as, as bad. But... The way that worked out, that would have never worked out for some guys, so they had to change some majors. But for me personally, uh, the hardest thing about that transition going from Archibald, a wonderful stadium for its time, but it had outlived this time, so it was time to replace it. Okay, the year on the road, hardest thing of a, on a team I've ever seen in my life because you have no home games. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a trip to drive to Ithaca to watch a football game. It's a trip to go to Buffalo. It's a trip to go to the Meadowlands. Now, I ended up playing there for all those years, but at the time, I thought, really? What are we doing here? Yeah. What are we doing here? It's a home game? And I, 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 for the life of me, it, it was the hardest year I, I, in terms of a wrestling. Then we won a bowl game in that year, and, I, and, and, you know, and people always remind me, goes, you know, Joe, you know you won a bowl game. I said, yeah, I know. I know. I said, yeah, I know. I said, but... I said, but I, I said, look, I had great teammates, and we just had to persevere and go through that. Then to open the dome here, uh, you know, that was special. Uh, you know, it, they scored a touchdown, and I was shocked by that. So my answer was, I returned the kickoff. So, and, and then we went in the game, and that's what that's what we wanted to do. Uh, and I wanted to help this program go to the next level, and that's what I was trying to do. You had 300 yards, four touchdowns in that game. And i got to share a quick personal story. One of my great regrets my father has is 
he was in the bathroom when you ran back that kickoff for a touchdown. He never saw a replay of it. I can't believe I missed that play. But, you know, he always described just the atmosphere that night. And everybody was curious what the building looked like. And, uh, you know, it was 38 years ago this week that it happened. You remember, you know, how hot it was in the building that night. What, what other things really grab you from, from that opening night? Well, I think that what grabs me is this right here. You know, it, it had been a year since football was on campus. Uh, people classmates, normal people would come in and just say, hey, good to have you guys back. Even though, even though you guys won the games and you're on the road, but says, it's just good to see you guys back, see you on campus. It was different. It was a different thing for us. It was a wonderful thing for us. And I, I really enjoyed that. Joe, congratulations again. Enjoy your weekend here in Syracuse. Thank you so much. Joe Morris, ladies and gentlemen, number 47. Not number 44, but that's okay because the 47 certainly has its own legacy now at Syracuse. We will break on that note. It's a football Friday. A programming reminder for those of you just joining us. We're only on till 5 o'clock today. We're going right to high school football at 5 o'clock. That game, which in this week's case is Auburn at ESM, got moved up because of the impending Nasty weather coming our way, some wind and some nasty thunderstorms. So a lot of high school football games either got moved to tomorrow or got moved up in terms of times. And one of those was our high school game of the week, Auburn at ESM. So that's coming your way at the top of the hour. The NFL Blitz, the pick six, and this week's survivor pick. All to come. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. That it is, my friends. Welcome back. It is a, albeit an abbreviated, but a football Friday nonetheless, my friends. We're cutting out at 5 o'clock today for high school football, so you got to get your fix in, right? We usually do this about an hour from now, but we're condensing all the best parts of the football Friday into one hour. Uh, so no hot takes today, I know. Sad, but true, ladies and gentlemen. That's okay. That's hot. No, not today. I'm sorry. Because we've got to tell you, for entertainment purposes only, everything you need to know about every game in the National Football League. Week three, the Cleveland Browns won. The Cleveland Browns won. No, this was not Dewey defeats Truman. This was not fake news. This was real. Brownies beat the J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets to kick it off. But Hugh Jackson's got to watch the tape to see who his starting quarterback is going to be next week. Let's go into the Sunday games. New Orleans is Atlanta at Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Atlanta's minus three with an over-under of 53 and a half. The Saints 1-1, one 0-2 one, oh against the spread so far, with Atlanta being 1-1 one and 1-1 one and one and one against the spread. They split their series season last year, both teams winning at home. Actually, wait a minute. Am I reading the right one here? Yes, I am. Sorry. I got distracted for a minute there. <laughs> I thought I was reading the wrong one. We're on the right one. Keep going. New Orleans is fourth in the total offense this season. Mark Ingram. This is the last game he's going to miss on suspension for the Saints, by the way. Manti Teo and Ted Ginn Jr. are questionable. Julio Jones, Devontae Freeman coming to this game questionable as well. San Francisco did not come through for me last week as the survivor pick against Detroit. Let's see how they do this week at Kansas City. It's an arrowhead, going to be 78 and sunny for that one. The Chiefs are minus 6.5 with an over-under of 55.5. The Niners 1-1 one and one so far overall, but they have not beat the spread. 
As we found out last week on Survivor Pick Payoff, Kansas City is both 2-0 and 2-0 against the spread so far this season. The last time these two teams played was in 2014, a San Francisco win. Patrick Mahomes, the first ever quarterback to throw 10 touchdowns in the first two weeks of a National Football League season. Tyree Kill, 12 catches, 259 yards, three of those touchdowns on the receiving end. Richard Sherman is expected to play in this game. Marquise Goodwin is questionable. Eric Berry, still questionable for Kansas City. Oakland's at Miami, going to be an 88-degree day. There is some rain in the forecast at Hard Rock Stadium. Oakland has not beat the spread this year, nor... Or reverse that. Oakland's 0-2 overall, but 1-1 against the spread. Miami is 2-0 and has beat the spread both times this season. Oakland beat Miami last year, a three-point win at Miami in November of 2017. Oakland, seven second-half points this season. They've scored 25 in the first half. Miami is fourth in the league in fewest points against John Gruden. Is still looking for his first win as a Raiders head coach. It would be his first win as a head coach in the National Football League in over 3,584 days. Jordy Nelson and Marshawn Lynch are questionable, as is Rashad Jones. Buffalo at Minnesota at U.S. Bank Stadium. The Buffalo Bills are 0-2 and 0-2 against the spread. Miami, or pardon me, Minnesota is 1-0-1, 1-1 against the spread. Minnesota is a minus 17-point favorite. In this game, 17 and a half in some places, 18 points in others. Are you kidding me? Indianapolis goes to, I'm not even going to waste your time with that game. What else do you want to know about the Bills and the Vikings other than that, that huge number? I mean, Shaq Lawson's out, Taron Johnson, LaShawn McCoy, Ray Ray McLeod are questionable, Dalvin Cook, Everson Griffin are questionable, but they're a 17-point underdog in the NFL. you got problems. Indianapolis is at Philly. Phillies minus six and a half with an over-under of 47 and a half. Indy, Indy is one and one and one and one against the spread. The Eagles, same deal, one and one, one and one against the spread. These two teams haven't played since September of 2014, a 30 to 27 win by the Eagles that day. Andrew Luck, 21 of 31, 179 yards, two touchdowns, two picks last week. That was in a win. Carson Wentz is back in the lineup, as you know, his first start since tearing an ACL and an LCL in December of 2017. A T.Y. Hill and Marlon Mack, Jack Doyle questionable, as are Jason Peters, Elshon Jeffrey, and Jay Ajay. Darren Sproles is listed as out for this game. Green Bay, the one-legged Aaron Rodgers, heads to FedEx Field to take on the Redskins. The Packers are minus three with an over-under of 45.5. Green Bay is 1-0-1 so far this season. They're 1-1 against the spread. The Skins both 1-1 and one-on-one one against the spread. Uh, these two teams last played in November of 2016. The Redskins winning that one easily, by the way, 42-24. to 24. Aaron Rodgers, 30-42, of 42, 281 yards, a touchdown last week. Washington only sacked Andrew Luck once last week. Aaron Rodgers, the one-legged wonder, is listed as questionable. You know he'll play. Paul Richardson and Josh Norman also questionable. For this matchup, Cincinnati goes to Carolina. Going to be an 85-degree day at Bank of America Stadium for this one. The Panthers minus three with an over-under of 43-and-a-half. Cincinnati has covered the spread twice and won both of their games, whereas Carolina is 1-1, one and one, also 1-1 one and one against the spread. These two teams have not played since October of 2014. They tied that day 
37 apiece. A.J. Green, three touchdowns in the first half a week ago against Baltimore. McCaffrey leading the Panthers with 20 catches for 147 yards. Cam Newton leads the team with 100 rushing yards. Joe Mixon is out. Bobby Hart is questionable. Greg Olson is out. Curtis Samuel and Donta Jackson questionable in this matchup. Tennessee heads for Jacksonville. Going to be a hot day at TIAA Bank Field. 88 and sunny in Jacksonville for this one. Uh, No spread on this game as the status of Marcus Mariota remains up in the air. So you can get this one at pretty much a pick. Tennessee is 1-1. 1-1 and against the spread. Jacksonville is 2-0, and and they've covered both games. Tennessee did win both games against Jacksonville a season ago in this divisional matchup. Blaine Gabbert was 13-20, of 20, 117 yards, and a touchdown starting last week for Tennessee. The mighty Blake Bortles against New England. 376 yards, four touchdowns. That Blake Bortles, yes, that Blake Bortles. Jack Conklin, Marcus Mariota, as we mentioned, Derrick Henry questionable. Leonard Fournette continues to be banged up for Jacksonville. T.J. Yeldon, Austin Safari, and Jenkins. Also questionable, Cam Robinson is listed as out. Denver's at Baltimore, M&T Bank Stadium. It's going to be 70 and cloudy with the Ravens a five-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 44-and-a-half. Denver is 2-0. Weird number, though, here. They're 0-1-1 against the spread so far this season. They beat Seattle 27-24 and beat Oakland by a point last week. Baltimore is both 1-1 and overall and 1-1 and against the spread. Uh, these two last played in September of 2015. Joe Flacco, 376 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. 32 of 55 a week ago. How Lamar Jackson continues to factor into the conversation, something to continue to watch for the Baltimore Ravens. Adam Jones, Brandon Marshall are questionable. Ronnie Stanley and C.J. Mosley also listed as questionable. Two 0-2 teams who neither have covered as well. The Giants at Houston. The Texans minus six at home for this one with an over-under of 42. Uh, These two last played in September of 2014. A Giants win, 30-17. That's the only time uh, that Houston has beat the Giants overall was in November of 2002. Barkley, 11 carries, 28 yards, but he had 14 catches for 80 yards a week ago at Dallas. Eli Apple, Vernon, out. Connor Barwin, even uh, Evan Engram, pardon me, questionable. Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, and Jadavion Clowney, all listed as questionable for the Texans. The Battle of Los Angeles. The Chargers at the Rams. 81 and sunny at Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. For this matchup on Sunday, the Rams come in as a seven-point favorite with the over-under at 48-and-a-half. Uh, the Chargers are 1-1, one and one, same record against the spread. The Rams are 2-0, and 2-0 oh, oh against the spread. It's the first time these teams played each other in Los Angeles since 1991. Melvin Gordon, three touchdowns in the first half last week, two of those on the receiving end. This is going to be interesting because the Chargers have the third-best total offense in the National Football League. The Rams have the third-best total defense in the National Football League. Joey Bosa is out of this game. Antonio Gates is questionable. Chicago at Arizona. The Bears minus 5.5 with an over-under of 38. The Bears are 1-1. One one. They're 2-0 and against the spread, though. Arizona has not won, nor have they covered. They're 0-2 in both marks there. These two teams last played in September of 2015. 
Lil Mack just continues to tear it up. Two sacks, two forced fumbles, an interception, a touchdown, a deflection, and eight tackles so far this season. Arizona has 228 yards total for the first two games of the season. You're telling me this is the game their offense is going to get going? That certainly lasts in the league. Larry Fitzgerald is questionable for the Cardinals. Dallas at Seattle. 65 and sunny at CenturyLink Field with Seattle minus one and a half. The over-under is 42. The Cowboys are one and one both overall and against the spread. Seattle is 0-1 overall. They are 0-1-1 against the spread so far this season. The Seahawks did beat Dallas 21-12 in Dallas last season. That was on Christmas Eve. Sean Lee, Cole Beasley, Terrence Williams are questionable. Doug Baldwin is doubtful. K.J. Wright and Michael Kendricks are questionable. New England's at Detroit. Sunday night football. Ford Field in Detroit. The Matt Patricia Bowl. Uh, Patriots seven-point favorites in this one. The over-under is 53-and-a-half. The Patriots 1-and-1 one one after that loss to Jacksonville last week. They put up the same mark against the spread. Detroit is 0-2, but they have covered. They're 1-and-1 one one against the spread. <laughs> Don't I know it. It was the survivor pick last week. Nice backdoor cover at the end for the Lions. Gronk just two catches for 15 yards last week. Wonder if Matt Patricia's got something up his sleeve for him. Matthew Stafford, 61 of 99, 633 yards, four touchdowns, but he's also thrown four picks this season. Gronk, Josh Gordon, Trey Flowers, Pat Chung listed as questionable. Darius Slay, questionable as well. That is the NFL Blitz. The pick six in this week's Survivor Pick Payoff coming up. Stay right there. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. It's been an unbelievable feeling. Uh, the moment I stepped on the field, you could feel the energy of the crowd. But you know what? It was focused on getting us back in that game. We were, I knew we were just a couple plays away, putting it together and getting back in the game, and it's just focused on getting the job done. That is Baker Mayfield. More notable accomplishment for Baker Mayfield last night. That he won a football game for the Cleveland Browns, first time in over 600 days that that has happened, or that he made Thursday night football interesting. Trying to figure out which one of those two is actually the bigger accomplishment, because Jets, Browns, not exactly the most intriguing thing unless Baker got in. Baker got in, and of course Hugh Jackson has to watch the film to determine who his quarterback should be going forward. You know what, Hugh Jackson, you should be fired just for denying us two games of Baker Mayfield. Because much like Josh Allen with the Bills, Baker Mayfield with the Browns, Josh Rosen when he gets in in Arizona, and any rookie quarterback you could throw at me, at the very least, they make things more interesting. Sam Darnold last night didn't have his best game, but he'll take some shots downfield. Jets fans are feeling great about him. The first two quarterbacks picked in this year's draft on the field last night. Baker just brings an energy he brings a willingness, he brings a cockiness, he brings a good arm, and a playmaker to the field. You know what Tyrod Taylor brings? Tyrod Taylor is your accountant that gives you conservative financial advice. But if you want to let it roll and you want life to be interesting and you know you're going to take some hits once in a while, but it'll all pay off in the end, Baker Mayfield's your guy. If you want to just trot through life safely, Tyrod Taylor's your guy. So Cleveland, you got a choice. The tape. Why do football coaches always have to watch the tape, especially for something like that? Dude, Baker Mayfield's your guy. Thank you, Tyrod. Here's your copy of the home game and a year supply of Turtle Wax. 
that's it for you. Okay. we got to go through this quickly because we've got high school football coming up top of the hour. So abbreviated show for me, kids. I'm going to be ducking out here for high school football in a few minutes. So we'll go through the pick six and then reveal this week's survivor pick payoff. I am 0-2 on my survivor pick so far. We'll see if my team comes through for me this week, and we'll tell you what the payoff will be if I lose once again. But first, the pick six. We take the six biggest games in the National Football League and college football, and we pick them. We don't take those scrub games. We don't take Syracuse to beat Connecticut like we know they're going to beat them by 27.5 points. Oh, no. We go for the big guns, baby. Stanford is minus 2.5 at Oregon. I'm going to take the Cardinal. I like Oregon at home. I like their quarterback. I like how they've been playing this year, but I just like that Stanford. Bryce loves getting healthy. Love that defense. I think they've got what it takes to shut down a team that's still getting used to their new coach. Hey, Willie Taggart used to coach at Oregon. Where is he now? Oh, yeah, Florida State. How's that going? Mississippi State is minus 9.5 at Kentucky. These are two uh, undefeated teams in SEC play. I think Kentucky comes down to earth a little bit here. Mississippi State's rolling. They're a top-10 team for a reason. They will win. They will cover the minus 9.5. Now, Texas A&M will not defeat Bama. Texas A&M lost by two, and easily could have tied and beaten Clemson in overtime had they gotten there. The biggest question with Texas A&M this week is if they cover the 26 at Bama. You're going to give me 26 points. I'm going to take it even against Bama. Texas A&M can can cover that. Even on the road, it's a big play. It's a risky play, but it's one I'm going to play anyway. Let's go to the National Football League. We gave you the NFL Blitz. Now, here are the picks and the survivor pick payoff. I'm going to take the Rams minus seven against the Chargers. Not only that great defense, Jared Goff's got it going. That Chargers defense without Joey Bosa, I got to take the Rams there. More Rams fans, Battle of Los Angeles could be a great atmosphere. Maybe the Chargers have the offense to cover the seven, but I'm going to ride the Rams here to cover that. The Bengals plus three against the Baltimore Ravens. Give me the Bengals minus three. No, they're plus three. I'm sorry. Plus three in this game. And I'm going to take the Falcons minus three against the Saints. Which uh, brings us to survivor pick payoff. Now, for the past two weeks, I have been failed by survivor pick. I took the New Orleans Saints in week one, and Ryan Fitzmagic happened. And I had to eat a hot dog with ketchup on it, which I did not enjoy. Last week, I took the San Francisco 49ers. Who were covering the six. Until Detroit got that sneaky backdoor cover. Survivor pick payoff this week is the Chicago Bears. The payoff. If the Bears lose, I will wear a Tom Brady... New England Patriots jersey for the duration of Football Friday next Friday. Which, believe me, is something I really, really don't want to do. That is Survivor Pick Payoff. By the way, I remember I took the point spread off the board. Just going Chicago Bears, Survivor Pick, and that's it. That's it, baby. Uh, so what should we do, boys? Should I go right to the top of the hour here? Should I uh, 
Take a break first. Uh, Tommy, you tell me what I need to do here because we've got high school football uh, coming up here shortly on ESPN Radio. I'm going to duck out a little early today. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, weather that is coming into central New York that has moved up a lot of high school football games, including our high school break, our high school, okay, break, our high school game of the week, which is coming up next. It is Auburn at ESM, Seth Goldberg, Julian Wiggum on the call. You'll hear it after this break. So that's it for me for this Friday. Have a great weekend, everybody.